Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. This time together this morning, thank you for this church. It's such a, indeed, mercy-filled, grace-led church, Lord. And I pray for your mercy today, but I also pray, Lord, for your truth that sets us free. If we'll know the truth, Lord, we can be free. Reality is our friend. And so, Lord, we ask for you to come and do your good work. Help me in my weakness this morning, Lord. Help me, Lord, to say and to teach only what you want your people to hear this morning. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, just as we sang, Lord, you're moving in this building and people's lives, through the hurt, through the pain, and through the excitement, and through the love, Lord, you have a plan and a will. So would you come, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, your first feeling is simply, I put the cookies on the low shelf again. Here we go. Marriage was God's idea. Marriage was God's idea. I know some of you think it was the devil's, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It was God's idea. Genesis 2.20 from the get-go. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. So Adam looked at all that. And, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while the man slept. The Lord God took out one of the man's ribs, closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to him. Now... I want to get something straight from the get-go. This is in no way says that the woman is lesser than the man in creation story. The significance of the woman being created second is to highlight man's need for a partner corresponding to him. Right? There was no animal suitable. So Adam is watching all the animals go by. Ah, not, not doing it. You know, there goes the cow. Whew, no way. Ba 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 ba. Yeah, all the animals are going by. Adam is watching them all. He's like, no, I'm not feeling it, man. Just not feeling it. Right? So God goes, all right, just take a break, Adam. All right, take a break. Out of his side, not out of his feet. Not out of his head, but out of his side. Come alongside. We come together. Come alongside. Right? And helper, that word helper. In this text is not equal to servant. It means it's to help. It's the same word used in the Old Testament as savior, rescuer. It's the same word used in the Old Testament where you hear something like God is our help. Same word. Woman was brought to help, right? Savior in a way. God is our help. Marriage was meant to help one another. Nowhere in the Old Testament was this term used to imply that the woman was inferior to the man. Now you may think, may say, how does Tim gain this wisdom? <laughs> and I'm going to wreck I know it's thick. This is just part of, I got a great library on this stuff. Now I'm trying to learn to live it. Um, this is the best book I know around for this. It is, I know it's thick, but it's easily understood. And it's, Man and Woman, One in Christ, an exegetical and theological study of Paul's letters by Philip B. Payne. And uh, it is an excellent resource like to read. Uh, 
So I'm just plugging that. You can't have mine. Say Tim Holt copy right there. It's mine. So can't have it. Woman was brought to man because man did not find anything that would correspond with him. There was nothing on his level with him. God brings someone along, a rescuer to his side. And we have the first marriage. Now, your second feeling is this. Marriage is not necessary for intimacy. And a lot of times, I grew up in the church in an era where that was said pretty often. But that's not true. Sexual intimacy, yes, for marriage. But intimacy to be known and to know another person. John 10.10, what does it say? The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them, which is who? All of us, right? Them. It didn't say to the married folks. To them, a rich and satisfying life. Everyone can have a rich and satisfying life wherever you are. Single, whatever, or married. Jesus doesn't draw a line in that and says, you're going to be more blessed than this person or whatever. No. So Jesus never made marriage a prerequisite for intimacy. Sexual intimacy, yes. That is reserved for the marriage. But I also want to say this. No one ever died from not having sex. Some of you are looking at me like, are you sure about that? <laughs> Nobody ever died. So we think from that. So we think that in order for me to have intimacy with another person, I have to have a sexual relationship with them. But that's not true. Now that is a part of the marriage. should be a part of the marriage. It's a wonderful part of celebration and a coming together of the intimacy of a man and a woman. But. It's not necessary for you to be intimate or have an intimate relationship with another person. You can be known and know other people and you can invite people into your life, right? So singles can be just, have just as much an intimate relationship with God and even with friends on a certain level as a married couple can. And I think we get it backwards a lot of times. We do. Who are some of the famous singles that you know in history? How about name the first one that comes to mind? Jesus. Just saying. Right? Paul. That's who I had second. Paul, the great apostle, the super apostle Paul. And then Lydia, who I just love in scripture because when Paul showed up in Philippi, Lydia opened her home to Paul and there was a church planted out of her house. She was a business lady. She owned a business and she opened her home and let Paul do his missions work out of it and all. And Lydia's there. We never read a thing about her being married. Mary Magdalene, what was her claim to fame? She saw Jesus rise from the dead. She saw him on that morning, right? Mary Magdalene. Then there's people like John R. Stott. Most of you don't know who he is. Some of you do. An amazing, his commentary on the book of Romans is a classic without a doubt. John R. Stott lived his whole 90 years and are single because he was committed to doing what God had called him to do. And one, here's a quote from him. The gift of singleness is more a vocation than an empowerment. Although to be sure God is faithful in supporting those he calls. Amen. Florence Nightingale. Any nurses in here? Yeah, you probably know who she is, right? 
What a lady, man. Strong-willed, came from a wealthy family. The Crimean War, you know, she saw the, the state that the soldiers were coming into, and she put herself there. She did an amazing work and continued. When she was bedridden at 38 years of age, she continued to supervise that hospitals got better and the nursing got better and the care got better until she was 90 years old and died. And her comment was, or someone's comment about her not getting married was her moral active nature called for something beyond domestic life. (laughs) She was a character. And then Lottie Moon. Some of you come from a Southern Baptist. uh, You know the Lottie Moon offering, even though I was only a Baptist for 30 minutes. uh, (laughs) I remember Lottie Moon, you know. I mean, the offering, and, and I really like her. I really do like because she was a real renegade of sorts. You know, she lived from 1840 to 1912, came from a wealthy family, was four foot three inches tall. She was anti-God completely. Parents tried to get her to go to church. She wouldn't go to church. They were so religious that they cooked their food on Saturday so they wouldn't do any work on Sunday. Well, what would Lottie do? She would go in and cook her own dinner on Sundays as a thumb to her parents' faith. And then at 18 years of age, she came to know Christ. Lottie Moon went to China, spent her life there in China, uh, ministering to, going village to village, town to town. And for 30 years, she didn't see any return on her investment of sharing the love of Christ until finally it began to happen. She turned down a proposal. So, got to drop that in there. It doesn't mean that a marriage is holier than a single person, right? Or your singleness. God uses all of us, calls us all to follow him. The third feeling is a good marriage consists of the Trinity. Now, this is going to be a different Trinity, all right? Surely the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is involved too. But here's the Trinity we get from Genesis 2, 24. There's three parts. Trinity. The first is, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother. The first part of the trinity of a good marriage is leaving. Leaving your home. Leaving it. Now, this is interesting because the Hebrew style of life that we see in the Old Testament was opposite of that. The woman left the home. But from the beginning before sin entered the equation, it was the man. Of course, this didn't... Refer to Adam because his father was God, right? But this was laying down God's principle. Look, you have got to leave in the future. You leave home. A man shall leave father and mother, cleave to his wife, and become one. And uh, there's, a, there's some leaving. And for us to have a wonderful marriage, you know, we have to leave in a way emotionally from our homes that we were in. We have to detach in a way. Now, I don't mean being cold to your parents, to your brothers and sisters, That's not what I mean. I mean that emotional attachment has to transfer over to a healthy partnership with your husband or your wife. And so many people get in trouble because they can never emotionally leave their home. But there's no way that a man and a woman can ever have that relationship that they need and that is offered to them if they cannot emotionally leave. That doesn't mean you don't love your parents. I I got kids and grandkids. I love it when they show up. But their primary attachment now, their primary love and emotion has to go to their partner, to their husband or their wife. And so there's leaving emotionally and there's leaving physically. 
There's leaving physically. There's a time where you have to get up and move out. Some of us couldn't wait to move and get out. You know? I couldn't. I mean, 19, 20 years old, I'm like, the sooner I can get married and get out of here, the better. Some of us, though, are still there 20 years later. You know, we're hanging out every day. We're there, you know. And, and we have to physically leave at least for some time so that the relationship, we can make one another primary in our lives. And I'll tell you another leaving that has to go on financially. Now, I know all of, all of these are a process and they progress. But a couple needs to leave in such a way that they become financially on their own, they're looking at each other, they're working together, they're partners in this journey of life. And I know it's a process because the first few years of our life, man, I was looking at insurance things, and I'd go, Dad, can I get a little extra money this week when I was working for him because I didn't have enough for insurance or whatever. I understand that you know, we help our kids, we help them get up and going. But look, if we as a couple cannot learn to depend on one another and forge our own life out together, emotionally, physically, and financially, we will never be what God called us to be. We will never get the benefits of a healthy marriage. We'll have an unhealthy attachment to maybe wonderful people, awesome people. But in order for us to cleave, for us to be united, to be with one another, there has to be a leaving. There has to be. And like I said, it doesn't mean that you don't honor your parents. The Bible calls us to do that. It doesn't mean that you don't see them often. It doesn't mean you don't respect and love them. But it does mean that there has to be a new entity forged between the two. And many times we can't do that as long as we're enmeshed with our original family. We just can't do it. I mean, there's something very beautiful about, you know, Karen and I through the years. Like, we look at each other and we go, how are we going to get out of this? <laughs> you know, we've got a challenge. What are we going to do? You know, we look at each other and those moments of challenge and those moments of loss and those moments of trying to struggle through life to make it and all were forging moments that honestly no one else needed to be in the middle of. It was she and I together. We had to forge that together. And as we did, we became closer and closer together. We have to have a leaving. We have to. And uh, it's so funny, you know, because my, I had a little meeting with my kids and we were talking and, and we were talking about, you know, wanting to see them all. And one of my children went, well, Dad, you raised us to be independent. <laughs> I'm like, not that independent. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we want to see you more. And, uh, so, you know, there has to be a leaving for us to have the marriage that God intends for us. And then look in Genesis 2.24, leave and then and is joined to his wife. Join. There has to be a commitment. That's your, sec your next villain. Be there. Leaving and then joining. Another word would be committing to one another. It's, it's a picture of being glued together. Glued. Where in that space between one another. Have you ever tried to separate two pieces of wood that were glued together? Some of you contractors know what I'm talking about. Or you try to grab it, what happens? You leave splinters in each board when you pull it out from the other board because it was glued tight. That's the way it should be. It should be glued tight. And when it's tried to be separated, it fragments because you leave a piece of yourself in the other board. But that's a part of joining. It's the same idea in the Old Testament of covenant. When God makes a covenant with someone, 
That is a joining, a commitment to that person. Uh, I've done a lot of weddings. I lost. I quit counting at 200. Karen says it's close to 500. I don't know. You know, this has been going on for 48 years since I've been a Christian. You know, and I love doing weddings, but doing do, a wedding does not make a marriage. You know, if we even if we spent just a portion of what we spend on a moment in time in counseling and in preparation for our marriage, we'd have such healthier marriages. We'll go out and spend tens of thousands and twenties of thousands and thirties and money. You know, what is it, 30-some thousand in South Carolina people spend on a wedding? It's average now. We spend that for a moment in time, and we don't do any prep. And then you say to a couple, hey, you need to go through um, premarital counseling. Oh, man. Oh, what? Almost six weeks. Oh, I can't do it, man. Oh, six weeks. Oh, but I'll spend $50,000 on 15 minutes. Right? And that moment in time, as beautiful as it is, does not keep you married. It is a public declaration to everyone that I love this person, I'm committed, and that's the way it should be. But if we even spent half of what we spend on the, the actual marriage, if we spent it on prepping, we'd all be a lot better off. Still with me? I love you guys. Jesus does too. You know, this, the leaving and the joining and uniting, all of that is similar to becoming a Christian in a way, don't you? You have to leave certain things when you come to Christ. You walk out of that old world of doing things and you walk into a new world. And marriage is very similar. So we're joining. We're leaving, we're joining. The opposite of this word for join is to forsake. So it's forsaking your partner or coming to marriage is the opposite of what we're called to. We're committed to them. And there's no joining without leaving. You kind of have to separate and leave that life. And then so there's leaving, joining, and then Genesis 2.24, and the two are united into one. And that is uniting. That's your third one. Here's the trinity of a marriage. Right here, leaving, joining, and uniting. And I'll tell you, this uniting into one has a real battle in our culture because we are so independent in America. You know, it's all about us. Everything is about us. Nobody gets married going, I can't wait to serve you. <laughs> I didn't get married for that, except for cooking and give me children. That's what I was doing. And like, honestly, when I got married, 20 years old, Karen just turned 19, we got married, and my whole goal in life was that I have a beautiful wife, give me beautiful children, cook good food, let me surf, ride dirt bikes, play in a band, and I can come home to my family. Is there anything in that story about her, me for her? No, there's not. But most of us do not get married so we can serve that person we're married. Most of us do not get married in order to say, I can't wait to get more for my life to revolve around you than any other relationship I have. Usually it's what you can do for me, right? You can do for me. We had a 
retreat here a number of years ago. Uh, we had a couple come and speak about marriage. Then we did a we did a marriage retreat, and one of the hokey, corny things they said that I never forgot, that's how corny it was, um, was, don't say it's mine, it's always ours. And so anytime this guy, this couple would hear me say, well, I have, or mine, or what, oh, what? No, it's ours. I'm like, man, this is so hokey, I can't deal with this, you know. But I've never forgotten that, that life becomes ours. And that's not to be absorbed so much that you don't have your own personality, but it means you're committed to one another to a point that where, man, you guys that are married, there's not a stronger relationship on the face of the planet than that when it's working the right way. And uh, so there's leaving, there's joining, there's uniting. And it's not, you know, we go from independence to an interdependence. Not dependence, but interdependence. You get that? There's a difference, right? Like, I, I, I'm not, like, addicted to my wife, and she's not addicted to me, but we have an interdependent relationship where the two become one entity together. We unite body, soul, and spirit. Uh, Pastor Rich Nathan vineyard pastor in Columbus, Ohio, used this story of two trees that started out separate and then they forged. I think we have a picture of one like this. It forged up into one tree. And those two separate suddenly became one and now the sap flows from the two into the one and the leaves come out and the tree becomes huge and beautiful. And that's kind of a a picture of God's design for us as married folks. Number four, fill in is this. A marriage built on the marriage trinity will produce intimacy. Because most of us go into marriage saying, I'm going to get intimacy immediately. But it's all about us, right? Intimacy is forged in, those three, in that trinity. That's where true intimacy is developed. And I'll tell you, most of us as human beings are hurting for intimacy. We're dying for it. To be known and to still be loved for who we are. To be accepted. To someone to be committed to us. And most of us, we love it. We want it. Genesis 2.25. Now the man and his wife were both naked. I never know naked or naked. Which one is it? Yeah. <laughs> Down south we say naked. Yeah. Or naked. Just like N-E-C-D. Naked. Now the man and his wife were both naked. But they felt no shame. But see, in our culture and our challenges, we want to do that first. That is, being, having no shame is when the intimacy is developed between the two. And in our culture, we jump into that immediately. Like, I got no shame getting naked. You know, it's like, well, that's wrong. That's not God's highest. It's not his best. It's not his desire. Because that sense of intimacy is meant to be forged together over time and with one another. We leave, we join, <coughs> we unite, and we do it backwards in this culture. And now we run in counterculture in this talk that I'm giving right now. If you want to be counterculture like I wanted to be in the 60s, <laughs> you know, it wasn't just growing your hair long and hey, that was counterculture, you know, cool. If you want to be counterculture, <coughs> try to live like this. 
Because this is running contrary to all that's being taught to us in media and every way. And I'm not putting all that down at all. I'm just saying God has such a better plan for us. He has intimacy for us. He has these relationships for us. We wonder why when we put the no shame first. We wonder why then we don't connect with the person. That comes first and then we're like, I'm just not connected. I'll go to the next partner. I'm just not feeling it. You know, I'm not connected. Got it backwards. Your last feeling is this. An intimate relationship with Jesus requires the same trinity. Doesn't it? Same as the trinity for a good marriage. Look at Ephesians 5, 31 through 32. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. This is a great mystery. In other words, Paul's saying, I don't really understand it. It's a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Because when you come to Christ, you leave. Right? You leave. You leave a certain, the way you did life, you leave it and you turn towards Christ and you go, lead me in this new life. Leave, help me, Lord. I want to follow you. I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. Help me. And then we join, you know, and we unite eventually. It's a process with Jesus and God uses in his scripture, he uses this same trinity for a relationship with him. It's mysterious. It's beautiful. But God sees us the same way. Same way. And we're go- we'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. Christians that go to church are 35% less likely to divorce. And neglecting your relationship with Christ heads to a breakdown of intimacy with him. And it's the same with us with our mates. It'll lead to a breakdown in intimacy. Somebody described a a dependent marriage like two ticks and no dog. (laughs) They're like, that's the way I was. I mean, I was like, yeah, she's everything I want. Good cooking, beautiful Give me kids, I can go do what I want. Sucking the you know, life out of somebody. And then we look for them, we get angry with them when they don't meet, meet our needs. Every marriage needs something bigger than itself. Every marriage needs something, something powerful you can appeal to when things don't go right. That is Christ. One thing I know in the 48 years and uh, we've had ups and downs and struggles and losses and happy times and hilarious times and all. But one thing I know when I look at her, I know that I can depend on her. And I know we face things together. And we do this also because both of us have a high regard to Jesus Christ in our lives. If I start acting as a... Bu- Excuse me. If I start acting... <laughs> Terrible, which is, can't happen often sometimes. Um, the appeal is this. The Holy Spirit that lives within me can grip my heart. I go, really, Tim? <laughs> and I've heard that voice so many times. <laughs> you know, it's like, really? Is this how I love the church? Is this what I do? Seriously? 
Like, oh man, you mean I gotta go back and apologize now and say I'm sorry, but I was right. <laughs> it's like, that's not the point. Being right's not the point. Being united together is the point. Facing life together with Christ as the Lord of the marriage, not just the Lord of each other, but the Lord of the marriage makes the difference. There's always an authority in our relationship that we can appeal to. We can go to him and say, look, I don't get this right now. Help me understand. And we can look at each other and call each other accountable. Is this really the best God wants? Now, i got to tell you, I don't like that. <laughs> like, reminding me of my spirituality <laughs> at the moment. Like, I thought you met Jesus in May 1st, 1971. <laughs> you know, what's going on with you and him right now? You're right, you're right, you're right. Right. So every marriage needs Jesus in the center. But i tell you how I want to end this today. Let me see the hands of all married folks in this building. Okay. Thank you. Let me see the hands of all of you who are single. Okay. You guys have got a real job this morning because we're going to, you guys are going to pray for us. <laughs> you guys are going to pray for us. Now, you don't have to go into intercessory prayer, though some of us will need it. But you just, you know, I'm, I'm asking for a blessing. Ask for the Lord to bless the marriages that are among us, okay? We need your prayers. And this is the community of God. We need one another. We need each other coming alongside. Whether we're single or married, we are the community of God. Together, one another. Friends with one another. Supporting one another. Praying for one another. So here's what I want. Okay, all of you married folks, stand up. If you're new to this church, this is what we do, all right? Okay. Dear single friends, do you see the people around you? You've got a job this morning, all right? If you can just go by and speak a word of blessing over it. Honey, would you come up here with me? Would you just go by, feel free, look, just to say, Jesus, bless them. Something, you don't have to go wax theological. Just, you know, bless them. Would you do that? Would you singles help us? Would you pray for us? Because we need your prayers. Okay, go ahead. Go it right now. Just bless the couples you see. That's right. Just get out and bless. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.